Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 212 of Manage the Wild. I'm your host, Nick Madsen. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that I got wrong five years ago, four or five years ago. I was sitting in an interview wanting to become a biologist. Obviously, that didn't happen. So I got this question wrong. Not completely wrong. But you could definitely tell I pulled a lot of stuff out of my butt when answering the question. And they were talking about assessing the viability of a population of, and in the instance, it was big orange sheep for me. And what would happen if you had a small population of sheep? What would you need to do to make it bigger? And what if you had an area that was perfect habitat for bighorn sheep, what would you do? So today we are going to answer that question. We are going to look into assessing big game population viability. So assessing the viability of big game populations is important for wildlife management and conservation. It, it is hugely important because especially with bighorn sheep, uh, they are a species that are prone to disease, and so things could be going great one minute, and then the next your population just tanks. We're also seeing that with mule deer in certain areas and a lot of other species, uh, depending on weather or disease or overharvest or whatever, uh, they're having troubles. And so this is what biologists, wildlife managers, and conservationists, researchers are looking at doing understanding the viability of a population. First thing they're going to look at is population size. It's one of the most basic things they need to understand to understand the viability of a population. They need to determine how big it is, how large the population is. They also need to understand the dynamics of that population. How many females, how many males, how many offspring, how many young are there, and what is going on? Depending on what you're looking at, um, depending on what species you're looking at, you may want to go in and do DNA analysis. If your population is very limited, you may want to go look in that, like cougars in Florida. You want to understand how related and connected they are. Are they too interconnected and do you need to bring some help in? So you're going to look at the makeup of that population. How well is it doing? You're looking at genetic diversity because you want to understand, do we need to bring in more animals to help supplement this population? Is Are there enough animals moving from one area to another? Are we having that distribution that we want, allowing that genetic diversity to work naturally within a population or are we starting to see some drift where animals are starting to express negative traits or negative genes. Then they're going to go in and look at habitat quality and they're going to look at all the things that come into play. They're going to understand the home range of this population. They're going to put out GPS collars, and they're going to look at where it's moving. Is it a migratory species? Are they traveling to different areas? Are they seasonal? Or are they pretty much uh, staying in their home terrain? They want to understand how large that is. And once they start to understand those factors of a habitat, then they can start looking at, okay, is this the right habitat we have? Do we need to go in and do some work? Do we need to do juniper removals? Uh, is this an instance where fires come through and so we need to replant? 
And so they are assessing that, going through, making sure their surveys are getting done, oftentimes to make sure that a, a good, uh, especially when you're bringing in a new group of animals or trying to bolster or supplement a population, you're getting research involved. And a lot of the times you can get the colleges to do your habitat assessment for you. Then you're looking at reproductive success. How many offspring are being brought in? Is this population on the decline? Are we not having enough offspring to offset the mortality? If you have a population that uh, 30, 40% of those females are giving birth, but your population's on a decline, then you may want to look at supplementing or find out the reason why. Because if their reproductive success is not great, it's going to be very difficult to supplement or bolster a population if they're not able to reproduce. So again, they'll bring in research, understand what's going on. Uh, is the habitat not great? Are these animals being aborted? Or are the males uh, not doing that great of a job? Do they need to bring in some more males? Is the population too low that the males aren't able to cover all the females? Or is there some other factor going on? I have a neighbor just down the road who he studies poisonous plants. And oftentimes they'll look at when there's uh, deformities in cattle, they'll look at some of the poisonous plants, see if the animals are consuming that. So you could have some habitat issue going on with reproductive success. Another one, when they're looking at a population that they have some concerns, they're going to look at the predator-prey dynamics. How is the predators in the area affecting this population? Bighorn sheep, for one. Uh, there was a, a case that happened in North Dakota where they brought in some bighorn sheep and they did research and they found out that it was being limited by mountain lions. So they came in, they removed quite a few mountain lions, and all of a sudden that population started to grow. And so you've got to look at, is this a limiting factor? Oftentimes it's not. Usually, I can't say usually, but predators get blamed for a lot of issues that could be related to habitat or weather or something else. But predators, and, and we heard Randy Larson talk about that there are some areas that are definitely being hit by predators, but you got to go in on those kills early. Uh, those animals that have the GPS collars, they die. Researchers got to get in there as quick as possible to determine cause of death to help understand. And they definitely understand the predator-prey dynamics. Human impact. How much of an impact are humans playing in that area? There's an area that uh, there was some mountain goats in. And it's an area that I've been to. There were some mountain goats there for a while. Now the population or that little group has, has moved and they're not growing. But they looked at supplementing that population or growing that population. And it was such a nice area because it was wilderness, forest service wilderness. And there wasn't any sh uh, sheep allotments, not a whole lot of cattle grazing going on. So there wasn't going to be a whole lot of human impact in that area. It's very remote. Most of the time, people who are going in there are on horses, and it's just very difficult. That would be a phenomenal area. But there are other areas, like down in Moab, where they have bighorn sheep, and they got roads everywhere, and they've got national parks, and they're trying to grow this population, and there's a bunch of human. 
uh, impacts or human involvement. There's cars, there's buildings, uh, infrastructure, all those different things can play a factor into how your population is doing. The other thing, when we think about human impact, there is uh, currently uh, a proposal out there to create another bighorn sheep population here in Utah. One of the areas that has been selected used to have sheep grazing. And we know that sheep and bighorn don't mix because of disease. So they have to go through and they have to work with all those sheep allotments and to get them to stop or agree not to if they're going to bring bighorn sheep in. You don't want to bring $5 million worth of bighorn sheep in and then somebody turn out 20 sheep and they're all diseased and they kill the bighorn sheep. So human impact is not necessarily just the building or the roads or the infrastructure, but it could be the animals that they're grazing. Then you got to look at your climate. I'm not necessarily talking about climate change, but I'm looking, talking about climate. Maybe this is the perfect area to bring in whatever species you're talking about. But then you notice that every 15 or so year, they have uh, big, huge droughts where there's absolutely no water for a year. You're going to want to look at ways that you can supplement some of those issues. Or let's say they get massive amounts of snowfall every year. And you know that the species you're bringing in doesn't necessarily do well with snowfall. So you're looking at all the different ways. One, increase the habitat, make the habitat better, put a lot of fat on the animals. Or maybe that area just isn't the greatest and you can't really supplement that population anymore because maybe it's at its max based upon climate. And then you got to look at all the different conservation strategies out there. There's a lot. Uh, and it's coming up with different things for that individual population. You can't just say, well, this worked over in Alaska, so we're going to apply this here. You've got to look at all of these things and you've got to say what is best for the animal, what is best for the people, and what is best for everyone when we're working with this population. Is some going to be predator management? Possibly. Is there going to be some habitat work that needs to be done? Possibly, most likely. Or are there other factors? Do we have uh, cattle grazing or sheep allotments that are really cutting down on habitat? So we need to work with those guys uh, to reduce the amount of grazing to help that population out a little bit. And you got to realize that when you're telling people they can't graze as many, you're cutting down on their livelihood. And so that could be challenging there. And then you're reaching out to the public because ultimately that is what wildlife managers and biologists do. They work for the public. They are helping making sure that this population is going to be there for the future. And so you've got to have community involvement, outreach. There are groups. Uh, I currently or recently been invited to participate in an elk plan or an elk meeting where they were looking at creating a hunt for a group of elk. They hadn't had them before. Now they've started moving. They've moved into this area and they are currently staying. So they want to develop a hunt. So they reached out to a bunch of different individuals to get their take. They're presenting their plan before they go and create it. And then they run it through the RAC committees to present it to make sure that the public is involved. 
Holy cow, we talked about a lot. So, to summarize, assessing the viability of big game populations is not easy. It's complex. It takes time. It can't be done overnight. You're talking a year, two, depending on the species, you could be five, ten years down the road. It's just not going to happen overnight. And you've got to make You've got to have all the studies in the right places to make sure you're making the best decision for that, for those animals. That is all I got for you. Before we end today's episode, go ahead and share it with your friends. Go on social media, subscribe, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, all those different social media platforms. And let me know how I'm doing, ways that you, that I can improve or things that you would like to hear more about. And that is it. You guys have a great day. Stay wild.